on Wall Street in investment banking uh, many years ago. Uh, and the firm that I, I have a degree in math and a master's in finance, and the firm that I was working for, the principal in the firm had in his office a statue. And this statue had cloven hooves, it had furry beast-like legs, and it had a torso of a man. And the story went that when a client would come into the office, he would say that these are the hounds of Wall Street. They are neither man nor beast. They will rip you to shreds. The only way that you can succeed is by having one of them as your partner. And then the standard deal that he would make for a company that was going to be going public is he would loan them money, uh, which uh, you know they would need because they're they're a growing firm, and uh, at a rate of interest with warrants. And warrants are the right to buy stock back, uh, the right to buy stock at in this case at a very low price. So he would end up with 10% of the company without charge, and thus thus being a partner and get all of his capital back. I remember walking, it was a very exciting job, uh, and, but how does a young man um, deal with the, the issues that, that come up in your, in your career? And as I was walking home one night, I had an interior understanding of something that was like a completion, and it was that um, later in my life I would make a difference in uh, exposing uh, unethical practices or uh, deceptive practices. And I thought to myself, how is that going to be? I'm, I'm still too young. I don't even know these practices. I, I have some ideas, but I wondered about that. Fast forward the clock to three years ago, and I, was, uh, I have my own firm. Uh, it's called Tree Ford Financial. I'm a wealth manager. I do, uh, I'm a retirement business fiduciary. Uh, and that means that I have a specialty helping business owners with their retirement plans. And a client came to me and had an insurance policy. Insurance is an important part of the kind of work that I do. Had an insurance policy which at the age of 76, um, he had paid the equivalent of the death benefit in premiums to the insurance company and this was aside from any cash value in the policy. And that meant that if he were to die at that point in time that the insurance company had collected in premiums an amount equal to the death benefit. This man had a medical issue and needed to keep this policy and uh, when I did some analysis of it, over from the age of 76 to age 100, he would have to pay six times the death benefit in insurance premiums to keep that policy alive. The insurance company was relying on the fact that this would be too expensive and therefore a person would drop the policy. And whatever they had put in in premiums would not come back to them. Now this kind of a policy 
is a so-called permanent life insurance policy. And there's a way that you can fund that so that uh, this doesn't happen. If the death benefit, if, if anybody here, does anyone here own insurance policies? Okay, and there, there's term policies, and that is a policy that has no investment feature in it, and then there's a policy that has an investment feature in it, and that, that's the kind of policy that builds cash value. Well, what you want to do is you want your cash value to approximate death benefit by the time you are at retirement age. In other words, you're no longer putting into the policy. The reason for that is that the, you're no longer buying insurance, so you're not faced with these high internal costs of insurance. If you have not fully funded that, then the policy could consume the, um, consume the cash value in the policy. I contacted the insurance company and I must have had over 20 phone calls with them. Uh, this was, um, to me, blatantly unfair. And when it became apparent to me that they were not going to do anything, I talked it over with my wife, Mary Ann, and uh, decided to non-cooperate non-violently with the insurance, this insurance company, and in fact, against deceptive practices in the insurance industry. And I told my client that I would, going forward, I would not charge him anything. And in fact, on all of my clients, for any insurance work that I do for them, I don't charge anything. And the commissions that I get, I give to charity, or in extreme cases, I uh, give them back to the insurance company. And I write a letter to the, uh, the chief in charge, and I say, oh, would you like to join me in opposing this particular deceptive practice. Uh, now, uh, going forward, um, the, uh, if you have an insurance policy being helpful to you, what you can do is, or if you're considering buying insurance, uh, what you can do is, first of all, you need to realize that the way that the insurance companies structure the payout the commission payout to the agents is to upsell the client. And on a 10-year term insurance policy, let's say the premium is $1,000 a year, the insurance agent gets 50% of that typically as a first-year payout. Doesn't get anything going forward, so that would be $500. If you buy a 20-year term policy, the payout is 80% typically. And not only that, but the premium is higher because over a 20-year period, you're going to be older and there's more insurance costs, so the premium might be $2,000. And 80% per, of $2,000 would be $1,600. So you have $500 on one hand and $1,600 on the other hand. So what to do is to ask your insurance agent to tell you the different rates of commission that are offered on the different products that he's offering to you and also ask him to disclose the commission that he is getting on the policy. Now I have a handout that I gave to everybody and there's a way of actually calculating the cost of insurance on one of these permanent life insurance policies and I've detailed it in this handout 
so you can just follow me conceptually, but if you ever needed to refer back to it, you, could, you have the handout to, to help, your, help you out. And basically what it says is to, if you're considering a permanent life insurance policy, calculate the cost of insurance uh, between today's date and your retirement age. And there is a page in the, uh, in the illustration or the, the policy that you get that defines cost of insurance. But as usual, it's in uh, um, insurance ease. And so usually it says something like $3 a thousand. And unless you know what that means, that means that for every thousand dollars of death benefit, uh, you pay $3. So if you had a million dollar policy, you would multiply a thousand times three or you have a $3,000 premium you can add up the total cost of insurance uh, to your retirement age. And then you can uh, go on the internet, and there's a place location where you can get uh, these internet quotes. You go on the internet, and you find out how much you would pay for straight term insurance. And you subtract from, from current age to retirement age. And you subtract one from the other, and that's the excess that you are paying for the uh, permanent life insurance policy. Then you do one more exercise and you take it to your age, retirement age plus 10 years. And you get those same two calculations again, one for the permanent policy, one for the term policy. Subtract the one from the other and that's the excess you're paying. Then as the final number, you take the excess uh, that you obtained through 10 years past your retirement age to the excess you obtained through your retirement age and you can see the escalating um, cost of the insurance. That's why in the example that I gave you, the death benefit, the individual would have to pay six times the death benefit in premiums in order to keep the policy alive. The way you overcome that, again, is if your cash value is approximately equal to the death benefit at retirement age, then you're no longer buying insurance. And so you're, you paid for it, you've got the cash value in the policy, and there, there is application for this, but that's what you need to know. Now, in comparison, if you had a brokerage account and you took the excess uh, that savings, by having term insurance, and used that to contribute to the brokerage account, as well as any cash you were planning to put in, then at your retirement age, you would have a, a nest egg that uh, could be compared to the investment feature inside of a permanent life insurance policy. The difference being that um, you don't have the ex escalating costs inside uh, the brokerage account compared to the insurance policy. And you can be an advocate for yourself in this methodology that I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you. The problem is, is that your insurance agent is, is close. You're close to your insurance agent. You know, that's why, that's why you became, um, became connected. But you also have to be an advocate for yourself because the insurance company puts out these uh, means of payment to the, to the people, which is, generates upsale, uh, upscale sales. The second deceptive practice that I want to talk about is um, measuring advisor performance. Uh, how many people in the room have an, a, a financial advisor? So we have some. Um, the way, uh, in order to measure advisor performance, first you need a benchmark. And if you use the Dow Jones U.S. Total Market Index Fund, that, is, that measures the performance of the entire 
U.S. stock market. It's not the NASDAQ, it's not the Dow Jones Industrial, it's, it's meant to measure the whole market. Then if you take, uh, the next thing you need to know is, you use that as your starting point for your benchmark. The next thing you need to know is what risk tolerance are you? You already probably know that, conservative, moderate, moderate aggressive, or aggressive. If you multiply, and again this is on page three, pages uh, two and three in the uh, report that I handed out. If you multiply 0.56 times IYY, the return for IYY, that would be your benchmark in any given year if you're conservative. 0.71 times IYY is a moderate benchmark. Uh, 0.86 times IYY is a moderate aggressive, and 1 times IYY is aggressive. Now you've established a benchmark. Returns over the benchmark, or excess returns, are a measure of advisor performance. That's as simple as that. And uh, my firm, Treefort Financial, since 2003 through 2008, the hypothetical uh, average client uh, return was 13% against a benchmark of 3% for a difference of 10%. Now, you can take your own uh, goals, your own retirement goals, and can understand that the distribution ratio that you're going to get, how much money you'll be able to take out of your retirement plans, does depend upon your investment returns. And so, this isn't a cut-and-dried thing to say, well, everybody, uh, you know, what this is meant to do is it's meant to let you know how you are doing relative to what your expectation might be. In common sense terms, if you're conservative, the, the U.S. total stock market has given off a 10.5% return uh, since inception. That's over a very long period of time. Using those multipliers, that would be equivalent to a 6% return for conservative, a 7.5% return for moderate, a 9% return for moderate aggressive, and a 10.5% return for aggressive. And by monitoring how you are actually doing, you can then work backwards and say, well, this is a reasonable distribution ratio, as opposed to uh, somebody saying to you, here's what your distribution ratio is is going to be. And on page three, there's some empty boxes. If you define your risk tolerance and put it next to them, you can actually have your, um, your benchmarks are already in there. So if you know what you did in terms of returns, you can uh, make a comparison. Uh, at this time, I'd like to open it up to questions. Yes, sir. Are you still in that business? I am. <laughs> Are you? Okay. Because <laughs> you said till 2008. I'm sorry, the uh, returns, the numbers reflect through 1231, 2008. I see. Okay. I have to have disclosures and I have to define periods of time whenever I give a return, and that's why I needed to include all of this in the uh, presentation. What has it been like now over the uh, most recent, uh, the last year and a half? The most recent year, I'm behind my benchmarks for some of my accounts. And so it doesn't always work out in my favor to be, be measuring my own performance because I'm not always, you know, performing. But we're, we're pretty close. 
And uh, as far as the general condition of the stock market is concerned, you know, it's been up this year considerably uh, in the area of 23%, 25%. The big, um, the big problem is the value of the dollar. And in the last um, year to date, the dollar has depreciated 9% relative to a basket of currencies uh, a trade-weighted basket of currencies. So if you were to travel overseas, you would have a 9% less purchasing power than you did at the start of the year. Any other questions? Yes? You talked about the unethical practices in the insurance industry as you mentioned deceptive practices in management of So the question is, um, how do you use this deceptive practice if you are, with respect to wealth management, how do you, how do you practically use this? this is, these numbers, for establishing your own benchmark, based on your risk tolerance, you can do on your own without anybody um, advising you or telling you. Knowing that, then you can look at what your advisor got and you can say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good here, or I'm not doing pretty good. But typically the relationship, the normal relationship between an advisor and a client is a very close, uh, trusted relationship, and it should be that way. But uh, there should also be a measure of performance uh, on the part of the advisor, not just we're both going through this together, and here's your returns this year, and here's your returns that, that was a bad year, and so Pardon? <laughs> exactly. Be an advocate for yourself. Any other questions? I got a question about that permanent life. Yes. Uh, I guess, from what I understood you to say, that you can't cash in your cash value. Oh, uh, the way that that works is that let's say you did fund your permanent life insurance policy so that the cash value did approximate the death benefit at retirement age. Okay. Now the question is, how do you get that money out? Typically, you, you can withdraw to basis. You have withdraw to basis means whatever you put in, you can take out. No tax consequence. Oh, you can't take the entire cash value. Well, I'm getting to that. Oh. Okay. Uh, it's the, the Uncle Sam breaks it up into two parts. That's why I do it that way. And the insurance company um, has their, their ways of communicating to you. So the first part is withdrawing to cash withdrawing your cash basis to down to zero. And then the second part is to um, borrow against the insurance policy. And that means that you t take the cash out. It's not as bad as it sounds. You take the cash out, it's a loan. Now when you die, if you took out 400000 and your death benefit is 600000 your estate gets 200000 pays off the 400000 loan, and that's all perfectly fine. If you were to take the cash value straight out of the policy, it would have tax consequences. So it's set up so that you can get that benefit without uh, having a tax consequence to it. So you can get that cash out of the policy. Any other questions? Yes? Can you think about a uh, variable universal uh, whole life policy being sold to a retiree? Um, well, you'd have to know more facts about it. 
But um, first of all, the first thing you have to know about buying insurance is there must be an insurance need. Okay, if there's no insurance need, if somebody who tells you that this insurance product is a great investment, it's, uh, be very leery about that. There must be an insurable and insurance need. And the main insurance need is income replacement. So between age of 20 and age of 65, you're married. If you die, you want to replace your income and help your family. That's a, a main need. Another main need is liquidity in an estate. So if there's a liquidity need where this individual that you're talking about owns a business and it's worth a lot of money and they can't take the money out of the business if something happens to them, there might be an insurance need there. So it depends. Any other questions? Yes. Can I follow up? Sure. Well, in this case here, there was neither of those, none of those needs were present. Okay. You, um, whenever there's cases against the insurance companies, it's always because of representations that are taken uh, like that. And um, if you just remember this, that an insurance policy, a regular term insurance policy, if you add an investment feature to that insurance policy, all that that is is a way of making money within the insurance policy. No different than if you opened up an account at a brokerage firm and put your money in there. And so if you think of it that way, it's separating the two. In other words, if the investment feature in the policy stands on its own two legs and is worth it, and you want to have it relative to other things out of there, it's fine. But if it doesn't stand on its own two legs, then um, you don't want to have it. And I've given you the tool to know about the internal cost, the true cost of insurance part. Because what the insurance company wants to do is to mask the difference between the investment feature and the cost of insurance. It's, it's kind of hard to tell that. And I've given you the tool to be able to discern the uh, true cost of insurance. I think my time is up now. And uh, thank you so much for coming. My hope is this is really not about the speakers tonight. It's about every person present. My hope is that at one point in time, every person present will become a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, there.